Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Eric Leviathan is a man who spends most of his waking moments grinding to make the world of music better by contributing both music and promotion. Eric is a member of Self Made Records LLC, who is closely tied with Earache Records, and he is also a member of Misanthropic Torment, a black death metal duo based out of Kentucky, who just released two albums this year. Ecdysis and Declaration of War, released on February 14th and August 28th, respectively. Today we dive into the promotional side of things and touch a little on his musical projects. Eric, I want to thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your time and this opportunity. Hey, I appreciate you even having me on. Man, anytime. As we were just chatting before the show here, I mentioned that you're pretty busy when it comes to music. You're involved with metal on the music side of things in Misanthropic Torment, as well as working for Self-Made Records, working alongside Earache. Before we jump into your involvement, where did your journey in metal start, and when was it that you decided to make a living out of music? Dude, that's a that's a loaded question. But um, like ever since I was five, I knew that I wanted to be in music. You know, like my uncle. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, like I was a little kid, and my uncle would uh wake me up in the middle of the night to go watch MTV Headbangers Ball when Headbangers Ball was like MTV was really music. You know what I mean? And um, I seen bands like Twisted Sister and Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Skid Row. Well, not even not Skid Row back then, but uh, Skid Row came later. Um, but I seen these bands, and I was like, these guys are cool. You know what I mean? And um, music, it just uh, I don't know, man. It was something that was, I guess, in my DNA or something. I, I mean, I owe my uncle for a lot of my music tastes, but um. I know when I was like nine years old, I started uh, looking at it more seriously. Like I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be a vocalist. I wanted to wanted to be the guy that had something to say. I, I just, uh, at that age, I didn't know what genre I wanted to do. I just wanted to do metal. And there's so many genres in metal when you get older and learn more about music that it's like there's so much to pick from, you know what I mean? Um, so... I guess you can say I've I've known that I wanted to be in music since I was yay high. <laughs> as far as working and making a living at it, um, it's uh, well, I, I guess I do make some kind of a living, but um, it's not something I'm not like rich and famous from it, so I, I don't consider it making a living. <laughs> You mentioned that there's a bunch of different subgenres of metal, and that's obviously correct. It seems like there's a never-ending realm of different subgenres. What subgenres do you tend to gravitate towards, and why? Um, well, when it comes to like my style of music, I like uh, I like to do death metal, black and death metal, experiment with my uh, with my vocals because I can make my vocals do almost anything except for like sing, um, like. Queensryche or something like that <laughs> but um my musical tastes that really get my soul set on fire I, I like a lot of 80s metal I like a lot of uh 70s classic rock um you know um I, I love uh I, I love Black Sabbath obviously I love the doors I like the cars um I love Jimi Hendrix Led Zeppelin um I I grew up listening to a lot of Kiss and Ozzy Osbourne, like, those were my two favorite bands, you know, I had every single Kiss tape, I had, uh, their comic books, their little dolls, and, uh, they, even they had trading cards, man, so when it comes to music, 
um, at least in the hard rock and metal genres, I listen to pretty much everything. As long as it, like, if it moves me, if, if there's a song that just, like, I feel it, you know what I mean? And, and you you got to be receptive. Well, you don't have to be, but um, I, I'm pretty receptive to anything that uh, that can just make my soul feel. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. I touched on, or sorry, you touched on a couple of the different merch ideas as far as like comic books, like action figures, special things that belong kind of in rock and metal that you don't really see in other sub in other genres of music. And I think that's one of the things, apart from the music itself and obviously the imagery that sets metal apart from other genres, is the wide variety of different kind of collectibles, video games, uh, comic books, even tabletop games. Now it's crazy. You know that that is. I I remember. Uh... I think I was like nine or ten years old, and I lived in Oklahoma with my mom. And um, I remember going to this uh, store. It was like a, it was an arcade or something like that. I can't remember what kind of store it was, but I seen a Motley Crue comic book. And and up until that time, I'd only known that Kiss had comic books, you know. But I've never seen any other genre like have a comic book or an action figure or. You know, I, I just, uh, I don't understand why other genres don't do that because especially nowadays in the digital age when uh, music isn't really your selling point, your selling point is more your merchandise. The music is just, uh, you get somebody to like your music and then they'll, they'll buy your merchandise, you know what I mean? Yeah, not only that, but even uh, for me, even if I don't necessarily like the band, if their merch is awesome, I'm buying it. I, I get to support the band one way or another. Yeah, you know, that's definitely a good thing to do as well. You know, you want to have something that you want to have something that people can use, that people can like or or even if they're not really into your music, something cool that they just look at and say, "Okay, I can't do without this. I need this," you know. Do you think that maybe the popularity of metal overall when compared to other genres of music may have something to do with the wide variety of merch like say for example hip-hop you don't generally see well i mean there's video games for like 50 cent back in the day if i remember correctly different movies maybe but um like if you take a more popular genre a lot of it has to do with with just selling the, the concert tickets and the albums themselves but because metal is such a niche market do you think that that could be part of the reason that they have such a wide variety of merch and different collectibles I think, in my opinion, and it's not just because I work in metal, but um, I think that metal is one of the most loyal fan-based genres out there. And um, if you can market yourself correctly and direct your music towards your fans, they will buy anything you put out to support you. Because here's the thing, not only is metal with the with the most loyal fans but it is also one of the hardest genres out there you know um it it is definitely the hardest genre to produce to to mix master to to create to find people who are like-minded to put that work into whereas other genres it's you know it's really simple for them to lay down a beat and um do what they do and I'm not trying to take away from other artists and what they do you know I'm just trying to say that because metal is so right there it's like that is a lifestyle for both the artist and the fans so I, I think that goes a lot into it and I think with metal too you have to be a little bit more 
intimately knowledgeable about your instruments and what you can do vocally, if that makes sense. Yes, most definitely. You know, um, as I said, there, there's a lot of different genres of metal and there's a lot of uh, other things, but vocally, it, it can be like you're uh, spitting razor blades, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the only, there's some genre, there's some uh, hip hop or rap bands that, um, or groups, I would say, like back in the early 90s, you had Bone Thugs and Harmony, and um, they were really fast. They, they, they talked really fast, you know what I mean? But when it comes to the actual instrumentation, I mean, it's all keyboards, man. You know what I mean? You, or you just, uh, it's just a beat. It's not somebody sweating up on stage, putting out a bunch of energy for the crowd to hear and feel and people to jump around to. So... Again, not not talking badly about other genres. It's just, I think that this is a more complex genre. It's a more intimate genre. It's more putting your soul through your instrumentation and your vocals, your body. You know, your body is an instrument if you're a vocalist. Whereas um, most other genres, they're just talking. And, you know, they might have something to say, cool, but um, it's, it's just that. It's what you and I are right here doing, and it, I don't feel it takes much effort. Yeah, exactly. Earlier, you touched on just briefly their music promotion and being involved with self-made records. So how did you get into music promotion and what was the reason for that? Oh, man, I might get in trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that I started working in a label is because uh, when I when I got out, I came out here and uh, I started a uh, I started working in music. I had a little setback in my life. I don't want to get too much into that. But um, I had a setback in my life that sent me to prison for a while. And um, life was a lot different then. And um, when I got out, I started working in my band to get things going because that's really all I've ever wanted to do my whole life. And as I started learning about Facebook and all these groups and all these promotion companies, um, I also started learning how a lot of these people are ripping people off and all that. I wasted thousands of dollars on Facebook um, groups that claim to uh, have connections into the industry. And the only thing that ever transpired was I was invited to a Facebook group that was free, you know. Um, I got put in some webzines that I could have got put into myself for free, you know. So I got tired of spending my hard-earned money to be ripped off and get nowhere. So I started doing my research and I started contacting bigger labels. I, like just went straight to the labels themselves and you know some of them blew me off some of them wouldn't even give me the time of day to even answer but um you know some did and I, I made some pretty cool connections and then I learned how to uh, put stuff together myself and be able to do things myself and at first it was just a vehicle to promote my own music and my own band and I started blowing up a little bit and I guess some other bands saw what I was doing and they saw that I ran a label and they wanted me to take them on. And I was like, all right, you know, um, I'll try this out. And it, it's working, you know what I mean? Um, that's, that's pretty much why my label exists is because I just, I got tired of being ripped off and now I'm able to take bands away from people who want to... Uh, who want to do the same things that they did to me, I'm able to take them and direct them directly to somebody that's bigger than me by just being associated with them. 
Um, I just want to make it clear, I don't work for Earache Records. Um, my company uses Earache Records Digital Distribution, which also opens the doors for their marketing services. I mean, we pay for those, so it's not like I'm on their payroll or anything. But like, if people are looking for label help, then I can get that for them. It's not an issue. So you mentioned that Self-Made basically works with the digital distribution of Earache. So how does that work from in layman's terms? Like, I'm not quite familiar with the way that dynamic would work. Obviously, like you have the connections and stuff like that. You have the your own bands on like your specific label. But how? what is that relationship like? Uh, basically, in my contract, I... Uh... I say that all artists will use Eric Digital Distribution. And when you use Eric Digital Distribution, they have a slew of services. You know, if you go to their website, you'll see they've got services for marketing um, through Roadie Media. They've got services for marketing through October, spelled O-K-T-O-B-E-R. Then they've got mixing and mastering services and, and, and all that good stuff. Well, when you use um, EDD, which is Eric Digital Distribution, you get access to those services. Now they do cost money, you know what I mean? Like I said, my label has to pay them for those services, just like if the artist wanted to use them, they would have to pay them to use those. So, I mean, I've got that at my disposal and I've got thousands of contacts within the industry that allow me to promote my bands and get them on a higher platform. But I mean, the, the relationship with Eric and Self Made it's not like we're a sister company. It's not like we are like, we're not, we're not combined with Eric. We just use their services. Okay, that makes more sense. So when you were learning how to manage different bands and promote their music, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in terms of learning new skills? One of the biggest, uh, <laughs> one of the biggest issues that I had was number one, being patient. Number two, not biting off more than I could chew. Um, you know, we all have, we all have these big goals and these great ideas and, um, you know, and, and it's great to have these things. And, but when I first started out, I took on 35 bands at once because, <laughs> well, I wanted to help everybody. I was like, I can help you. This is what you got to do. I learned, I learned this and this is, this is what you got to do. And, um, I was trying to work with just anybody and help anybody and that is kind of where um i i kind of bit off a little more than i could chew and i wasn't very selective with the people that i was working with and uh you gotta be selective in this business there's there's a lot of sharks and there's a lot of bands that if they don't have direction or they're not ready yet or they have this illusion of um, becoming Motley Crue overnight, then, you know, I worked with a lot of those as well. Uh, basically, I, that, that was my biggest challenge. I hit myself, uh, not, not literally, but it was like I was running my head into a brick wall trying to figure out what am, what am I doing wrong. Well, you know, I had to, I had to take a break for a couple years because I, I had a little bit of a breakdown and, um, it wasn't good. It, it flowed out all over social media. <laughs> so I, I took a break for a couple years and I got myself together and I figured, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. This is, this is the last time I'm going to try this. And now I only work with like five or six bands at a time. And I make sure that the bands that I'm working with 
are very well aware of what the industry is like as far as you know the the delusions of grandeur there's nothing wrong with having a dream and being a little delusional as long as you can be realistic about your delusion um because who, who knows you know um the delusion the the dream the illusion whatever you want to call it you know it can come true it can come true for a lot of people and it does it, it does to very few people um very few bands but the fact of the matter is is that it does happen you just you gotta want it you gotta bleed for it you've gotta be determined you know um you and number one you've got to have the sound you, you you've got to have something that people want to hear you you've got to create a product that people like and then once you create that product the work has just barely begun you know there, there's a lot that goes into it but i make sure that when i talk to these bands that they're very well aware of what they're signing on for um and very well aware that once the work has started by me that doesn't mean that they can go kick back and relax, you know? It means that they gotta work too. Definitely, and I think something that may contribute to those delusions of grandeur is basically the fact that when you do see somebody get famous seemingly instantly, you don't really see the work that has been put in prior to that. And a perfect example for me at least is Will Ramos from Lorna Shore. Like he's been doing a great job. He has obviously skyrocketed Lorna Shore into a different realm compared to where they were previously. But what I wasn't aware of is what he had done in music prior to that, how long he spent perfecting his vocals and the hard work that went into forming that group and, and basically, I, I guess, making sure that the, um, this is probably a poor way of saying it, but having like a fully flushed out sound that works with both the band and his vocal style. His vocal style is phenomenal. And you touched on... Uh, delusions of grandeur as some of the things that um, may work against a band. So when when you are seeking new bands to add to your roster, what are some of the qualities that you do look for? And on the flip side, what are some of the qualities of bands that would automatically preclude them from your interest? Um, as far as the qualities that I look for, uh, I look for people who have confidence but are humble. Um, I look for people who who want to tour that you know um i work with quite a few different types of artists there are some who are just solo artists who want to uh get their music heard and i can do that for them that's easy it's it's not an issue but when it comes to actually signing on to the company and if they really want to go the distance number one there's there's specific key factors that they have to have they have to have been together at least for more than a year they have to have at least one recorded professional studio quality song um, up on some kind of streaming platform and they have to they have to have a band fund you know what I mean you can't go far without a band fund you have if, if you don't have a band fund your your tour van car whatever breaks down and, and you're stuck you know what I mean and uh, honestly if you're not funding your band before you even contact the label you're doing it wrong because a label is not like it used to be back in the day. They're, they're not going to fund everything if you haven't gotten to a specific point in your career. And I hate to play the numbers game, but if you've got less than 1,000 or 2,000 followers on, on social medias, then you're, you're doing something wrong. You, you need those numbers. People like numbers. Bigger companies like numbers. My objective in my company 
is to take a band and get them to a bigger label that can help them more than what we can. And I can't do that if they're not helping themselves either. There, there's so much that goes into this. And so basically, what you're essentially looking for at, at, at a glance is to making sure that they have some of those foundational building blocks in place prior to reaching out. And then obviously, like you said, they have to have at least one recorded song. And like those are all, in my opinion, pretty basic things. Yeah, it's pretty basic, but it's very important. I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of different bands who don't have that, you know, and I, I tell them, I, I try to give them simple direction like, okay, send me your music properly tagged. What's that mean? Okay, cool. Let me tell you what it means, and then I'll tell you how to do it. I'll even teach you how to do it, you know. I, I give away a lot of information for free to these artists, so even if they don't want to come with me, they have the business knowledge to be able to do these things themselves. It's not necessarily come with me and pay me, and I'm going to show you how to do this. It's here, let me give you all the tools, and if you can do it on your own, great if you can't come talk to me and we'll work together and we'll help you out but if you can't even get your your mp3 tags correctly no one's going to take you seriously if you can't embed your isrc codes into your music your music is not going to be scanned by a soundcast or a luminate excuse me every time it's played so you don't get any chart registration um, there, there's a, again, there's a lot that goes into this that underground artists should know. Basically, at this moment, there's thousands of artists out there just sending their music out to people, and it's getting played. It's getting played on internet radio stations. It's getting retagged by internet radio stations, and probably embedded with the internet radio station's own ISRC codes. So when it is played, it's scanned through that big brain, and it goes back as uh, credited to the internet radio station. And a lot of underground artists don't understand this that's really interesting I've never heard of an ISRC code what is that oh it's an international international song recording code okay and so like you said if it's not attributed to that song specifically going back to that band whichever radio station is happening to ha or radio station or internet radio station is happening to play it it would the credit would essentially go to them as as far as like a play goes yes essentially and some of these internet radio stations can make money if they have a license to uh to play the music you got to have um you got to have a blanket license and you also have to as an artist, you have to have your song with the ISRC code and the UPC code registered through Luminate, uh, formerly known as uh, SoundScan. Um, if you don't have these things, you're not getting credit. Somebody else can and will get credit for your music. And not, I don't mean credit for the production and, and all that. I mean credit for the song being played. Mm -hmm. So is there any recourse as far as, like, say a band does amass, say, a million plays on this one song, but it happens to be through a radio station, and they don't have that ISRC code implemented, is there any recourse for the band to, a to be able to correct that, or is that pretty much a lost cause at that point? You can correct it. All you have to do... All right, so if you use a distributor, say um, the band uses DistroKid, TuneCore, CD Baby, um, or they use Eric Digital Distribution, I recommend everybody use earache digital distribution and uh because they come with actual label services you know they can they can help your career but um they give you an isrc code unless you register through the us isrc which i have because i'm a label um i can create my own isrc codes 
If you're not there yet, it's cool. Just use one of these digital distribution companies. They'll give you an ISRC code and they'll give you the UPC code. Then you'll want to embed your ISRC code into your WAV file and you'll also want to embed the ISRC code and the UPC code into your MP3. And you can do that simply by downloading uh, ISRC editor, and that's for free, and the MP3 tag, and that is also for free. I have those both downloaded. Um, so once you do that, you'll register your songs through Luminate, which was formerly known as SoundScan, and once they're registered, they belong to you. They, they are now registered because you've put all your information in there. You've registered it through the right company. And it's free to register your music. You don't have to worry about that. If you want to create your own ISRC codes and you want to do it where it's yours completely and not linked to any other distribution company, except for when you use the distribution company, you just go to USIRC and you pay them 95 bucks, and it gives you... Um, 100,000 ISRC codes a year for free. You just got to create them and learn how to do that. But one, once you do all that, then your music is played and then you're getting credit. See, what a lot of people don't understand is what I call it, I call it the big brain because that's the only way that I can think to call it this. There's this big brain that is constantly scanning music all day long from FM radio to um, AM to internet radio stations that have actually done the right thing and got their license to be able to broadcast music. Um, so whenever an artist is played, it gets scanned, and people are want, probably scratching their head wondering, well, why do I care about this? Well, if you're trying to reach any kind of chart level, and you're trying to go beyond the underground and playing in dive bars to get to a higher level, or trying to get on big shows with bigger names, or, or a bigger label to look at you, or anybody who's serious in the industry, you're gonna need chart placement. If you don't have chart placement, nobody's gonna care about you. So it's my job to basically direct these artists and sometimes do this for them um, to get these things all in order so that, you know, if they have great music and they've got fans who are listening and people who are just constantly wanting to stream their music, even if you go through TuneCore or DistroKid, they don't register your music. All they do is they put it up and it's played. And yes, you'll get paid for your streams, but you're not going to get chart placement because they don't register your music to through Luminate. That's really interesting. I had no idea about any of that stuff. With things like Radio Play and uh, the USRC code, or sorry, the yeah, the ISRC. ISRC. Is it similar with streaming services, say Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Music? Is that all ingrained into that code as well? Are those plays considered part of the total? Yes. I mean, if you get, uh, I think, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it, it's like almost a million plays off of one song or one album. It is considered to be an album bought. Um, it, it takes a lot of streams, man. You, you get paid like zero zero point one cents on the dollar. It's not even a full penny. It's half a penny. But um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Every time your song is played, it is recorded as long as you register your song. Using a, di a digital distribution service is not enough to get your song to be able to be um, scanned through that big brain. 
once you have everything up and then because all these streaming services will provide you with ISRC codes and UPC codes okay but at the at the end of that part when you get those from them you still have work to do you have to go and go to the site and then type in your ISRC code there and register it then it'll start getting scanned by that big brain right now as it stands there's thousands of artists out there who are making money still they're making money off their streams to maybe $25 a month if that if you know if they're being streamed a lot and, and that's fine for most artists but if if they want that brand uh, that brain to scan it so that they can reach a chart or you know what I mean? If they're getting lots of streams, if they can reach the charts or be considered for chart placement, it has to be registered. Interesting. It doesn't seem that complicated, but if you don't know the steps, that you're obviously going to overlook something that is quite like quite easy to do. And that's where I come in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm the guy that knows a little bit of everything that doesn't mean much until you figure it out. <laughs> You touched a little bit earlier on your own experience as um, as a musician, as well as recognizing that there are a lot of sharks out there and people who don't do the right thing. And you also said that you offer a lot of information for free. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that's the reason that you do that is because you've gone through shit in your own experience that you don't want people in the future to have to experience the same thing. Yeah, I kind of, I'm a weird guy. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a misanthrope with a heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> I basically, uh, um, I want to be the guy that wasn't there for me, you know, um, and, and I feel like I've, I've been through enough shit in my life that, um, and I've done enough shit in my life that if I can just, uh, like it's be that guy that wasn't there for me for somebody else. It's it's just good karma, you know what I mean? It's good to help people in an area that um they can't help themselves. And honestly, it's a vendetta for me to put a lot of these scam artists out of business. I figure if I give everybody the information that these people are using to forgive my terminology here, but rape their wallets then I feel like if I give enough people this information, enough artists, it will circulate. And these artists won't need to rely on some internet scam company who is basically putting artists in webzines that they could get into for free had the artist even just known about it. Knowledge is key here, man. Um, and it's just it's ridiculous to me for somebody to charge somebody 350 to 500 dollars for uh somebody to send out an email blast and then get a couple reviews and placement in a couple webzines that if you just contacted them yourself that they would have done it for free for you and you could have put that money into your music into something that could have helped your career I'm, I'm just gonna say this you know if there's any artists out there listening and somebody asks you to pay them for a review don't do it you're basically taking your hard-earned money to pay for some joe schmo's opinion about your music opinions are like assholes don't create the music for the critics create the music for the fans and 
you, you could definitely put that money into something into your career that could make you money. Put your money into shirts. Don't put your money into vinyl records or CDs. CDs will sell at shows, but shirts will make you a hell of a lot more money than CDs. Remember this, music is free. That's just the, the age we live in. Music is free. Make good music. Make music that your fans are going to love and they will buy whatever kind of merch you make. And I will use Marilyn Manson as an example here. Marilyn Manson established himself. He made music that people loved. Most, some people hated, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword there. But at the end of the day, a few years ago for Christmas, he gave everybody a bag of dicks with his face on it and people bought it. <laughs> so just, just use that as an example, man. Don't pay for shit you can do for yourself. I feel like with the sheer scale of the internet nowadays, uh, with all the social media sites, with all the metal sites that you have out there, you don't even have to reach out necessarily. It seems like a lot of people are doing their own, uh, I guess, pseudo reviews as well and, and putting the, their own ratings out there even without having like a professional writing background, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's 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 the thing, man. You, you've got these guys, and it's cool that you have this, okay? There's a lot of great review teams out there that are doing things uh, just for the love of metal and they'll they'll review what they like and that's cool That's that's the best review to get is somebody who's gonna review something that they want to review because they like it They're a fan, you know, um but Then you got the other ones who uh, want to tell you to give them 50 bucks and they'll they'll review your album and, and you got to understand those reviews that you're get that you're paying for from somebody who isn't even known that they just set up a, a webcam in their in their room or whatever that that doesn't do anything for your career if i i can't stress enough if you're gonna put money it's a business all right take music out of the equation if you opened up a mom and pop shop down the street and you sold goods you're gonna have to well, you have to buy the goods first, and then you have to sell them to fund your business. Music may be a passion. It's a, Every artist, it's about passion, and it's about getting the music heard. But you are putting so much money into your instruments, into your lessons, if you take lessons, um, into your production, studio time. One song... One song costs almost five hundred to a thousand dollars to produce, so you've put that money into that. Now it's time to treat it as a business and make that pay for itself, and that's where a lot of people fail is in the marketing. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I'm very passionate about this. I hope I'm not saying too much. It's gonna get me in trouble here. <laughs> no, this is perfect. This is all stuff that I'm not aware of, and part of the goal of the podcast is not only to speak to bands, but it's also to see, kind of fully flesh out the the scene as a whole, and to learn more about the back end that something as as just an audience member, someone that just listens to metal, has no idea how to navigate. And so this is pretty informative, and that's kind of why I'll take a couple seconds from time to time because it's a it's a lot of information and I'm, i got a lot of questions that, that's fine i'm here to answer them now you did touch on earlier about like biting off more than you can chew and you said you worked with 35 bands at one time but now you kind of limit it to about six five or six 
So if you have two or more bands that you're interested in partnering with, what are some of the things that they could do that sets them apart from the other, if that makes sense? And I guess a follow-up question to this is, do you pay, uh, do you pay much attention to the members of the band, for example, if they were previ in previously successful v bands, or do you search more for the quality of music as a whole? I pay attention to both. Um, qu okay. Quality of music is definitely the first thing that I look for. Um, if a band has a good resume, like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a band right now called Modern Mimes, and um, they, they have a resume that is very extensive. I mean, um, Ernesto, he, he is, he's a guitarist. He plays a, a double neck uh, bass and guitar, and he has been on stage with uh, Godsmack and on tour with. Um, uh, Five Finger Death Punch and a previous band called Another Black Day. That that that's impressive. You know what I mean? They they were doing the thing, and now he he's with Modern Mimes, which is um, him and his uh, wife, I believe. But um, they they tour. They they sell merch. They sell ven They sell out venues. You know what I mean? And they're they're underground. They've got me scratching my head, wondering why they're even talking to me right now. Because they they should have already been picked up by a big label, but they haven't. And the reason is is because their numbers are low. They've got fan engagement. They've got organic reach, but for some reason, the numbers um, are are not where they where the industry wants them to be and this is the part of the industry that i hate because it's a numbers game and numbers don't always tell the truth you know what i mean there's people out there that that buy their numbers and and that's not good you know what i mean but it, it's just a numbers game but with this band um i was talking to their manager their manager from mk music brought them to me and at that time, I was like, I, I don't really want to take on another band. I was actually just looking for somebody to help me book some of the bands that I had. But when he gave me their resume, I was like, okay, all right, cool. I want to work with this band. Because not only do they have the sound that that for their genre that people are liking, they have the attitude and, and being humble. I believe this band has exactly what it takes, and I would use them as an example for what I would look for. It's a band that wants to tour, not Weekend Warrior, but they really want to tour. They want to go on the road. They've sold out venues. They make seven hundred between seven hundred and a thousand dollars a night. Venues love them. Venues want them to come back, and the stage presence is there. You can have great music, okay, but if you're just standing there stiff as a board. You're not entertaining anybody. Nobody wants to go to a show to just hear music. People want to go to a show to feel the music, to feel the energy. And they want to feel that the artists believe what they're saying, not just through the music, but through the instruments as well. And if you can't produce great music with a great stage presence, and with a humble attitude, but also the attitude that says, here I am, and you're gonna listen, then I, I can't do anything with that. I mean, I can coach anybody to tell them what they need to do, but if you're not at that level, I don't really wanna mess with it because it's gonna be a waste of my time, it's gonna be a waste of their time, and it's going to also be a waste of their money because 
You can throw money at anything, almost anything in the world, and make it work. But you can't do that in music. You can have the great, you can have a million dollars and throw a million dollars at the industry and not have what it takes, and just be a million dollars less richer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's refreshing to hear you touch on the difference or I guess the possible disassociation between numbers and actual quality of the band themselves like you mentioned the fact that they tour that they sell out venues their stage presence and and quality music but it's also it's nice at the same time to hear you actually identify the issue with like buying followers and that it is just a numbers game for a lot of labels because that seems to be I mean with everything nowadays it's it's not the best product necessarily it's how can we make the most money and I think that's one of the problems that we have currently not just in music, but it, with products, cars, everything, like clothing, even. Yeah, um, unfortunately, and I'm, I, I, you know what? I might as well. I, I'm the guy who doesn't hold anything back. <laughs> hold on. Unfortunately, the thing is, is most people have short attention spans now. Okay, and they gravitate towards what other people say is popular. And, and, mm -hmm. and people trust in numbers. And I'm going to give away something here, and it's going to get me in trouble. It might get me in trouble, but guess what? I've already been – people have already tried to cancel me before. I run my own shit. They can't do it, so I'm not going anywhere. What bigger companies do, what bigger labels do, is they take a band that nobody's ever heard of, and they pump a bunch of money into influxing their numbers. And then they buy back their units to get them like Billboard Hot 100. Say, okay, I'm going to give you an example. You remember back in the day before internet radio stations and before uh, when it was just AM, FM, and you're in your car going to work or on your lunch break, and you're listening to the radio because that's what you do, and you hear a band and you're like, you've never heard of them before, you've never heard anything about them at all, and all of a sudden they've sold 45,000 records and they're, they're on the hot 100 billboard status or they're on their way for Grammy Awards and, and all this other shit but nobody's ever heard of them but next thing you know everybody you know in your neighborhood is flocking to the record store to buy their record because they want to see what's so great about this record then they buy the record and they're like what the fuck is this it's because it's because the labels the big labels the industry guys have been doing it for years. They're telling people what's popular by pumping a bunch of money into the artist's um, record, and then they turn around and buy it all back, and then the artist gets put up for Billboard status, or Grammy status, or, or whatever it is that they're aiming for. But at the end of the day, what they've just done is they've just told you what to go buy and listen to. It's not what you like, it's what other people like, and that's the problem. Um, that's just a big problem with the industry. I'm being straight up honest. And I, when people hear this, they're going to be quite upset with me, and that's okay. Well, I think it's realistic to to take a look at that as well because you – I mean, it's a it's a parallel here, but it's I think it's relevant as well. When, when we both talk about having bands buying their followers, say, for example, on Instagram or – on Spotify, I'm not really sure how that side of things works, but it's it's artificially inflating the popularity so that they seem 
more desirable than they actually are. And that's not always the case necessarily, but I can see it being quite similar in that regard. Well, yeah, and the only difference there is um, Spotify and these other companies, uh, if you're caught using bot services, they will remove your music and they will strike you from being able to use their services again. But um, oh, that's good. But the thing is, is it's it, it's targeted towards underground artists. It's targeted towards less famous people. Um, bigger labels, and I don't know how they do this. I honestly don't. But bigger labels, they have a way of doing it to where they're either in bed with them or that it, I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory or whatever, but um, they're, they're either in bed with them and they know what they're doing or that they just have a stealthier way of doing it. <laughs> and I'm not saying everybody's buying their, 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 their streams or their numbers. I'm just saying that it is happening and it's happening by bigger companies and it's keeping the underground artists from reaching a level of success because it creates this uh, this illusion of success for other people that other people are gonna have to meet to um to even be looked at. And the numbers game, okay, there, there's there's a lot of people out there who who do go on pages and like and comment and. You know, they, they like their artists and they talk to their artists through their posts and stuff. But then there's other people, there a vast majority of people, who don't necessarily have the time to sit there and like and love and follow and do all that. But they like the music. They like the music, they'll listen to the music. But when it comes to the social media shit, they're just like, whatever, man. You know what I mean? A lot of fans, a lot of fans don't understand the necessity for liking and following and I, I don't expect somebody who's got a nine to five job with a wife and kids and has maybe maybe an hour out of their day to listen to some music and that's broken up in between errands to sit there on Facebook and like and love and subscribe and go to YouTube like comment and who, who's got the time to do all that you know what I mean yeah exactly it's very laborious on the side of the listener because you're you're trying to always stay yes I mean as somebody who does have a full-time job and, and then obviously the podcast here reaching out to different bands different uh individuals like yourself like it, it is difficult to go and try to network with those bands through social media like all of their posts stay up to date on what they're actually doing especially if you like a wide variety of music yeah i mean for for me as a fan growing up uh, listening to music I mean, I'd stand outside the record store for like three hours waiting for it to open so I could get a new cassette tape of, of one of my favorite bands when they when they dropped an album or something. But I mean, back then I didn't think about like any of, well, back then this didn't even exist, but you know, it was just about enjoying the music. I remember what it was like to just be a fan of the music and um yeah, I would I would buy Hit Parade or Rip Magazine to read about the bands, you know. But like at the end of the day, I just wanted to relax and listen to the music. Um, social media and the digital age, I feel, has kind of it's a double-edged sword, man. It's killed it, it it's killed the ability for an artist to make money off their music for number one. And then it's killed like the the mystery of the artist, and then it's just it's killed everything really because then fans are expected to sit there and like, love, and subscribe to everything, and 
I don't I don't like the digital age. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, multiple social media sites have basically come out, even Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it nowadays. They have straight up said that their basic their basic goal is to keep you engaged with that site specifically. So of course it's gonna be um, a lot more time consuming and now they're they're even I don't know if it's actively suppressing, but they're definitely not sharing links outside of their own sites as often as they used to. So it's it's kind of like they're trying to take your attention away from that music or whatever you might be following and, and keep you on that one site specifically. That's the same thing as Facebook. Um, Facebook intentionally will put something there in your feed. If you say you don't want to see more of this because it strikes a, a, a negative emotion, what they know is this, that it's a psychological thing. They know that if you don't like something, you're going to react it's what people do they react so it starts arguments and it keeps you on the feed it keeps you on their site um in a negative aspect and that's why there's a lawsuit right now against facebook for uh it's some kind of psychological thing and facebook won't let you well it will let you post links but like you said with twitter um if i post a link onto facebook for a youtube video for one of the artists which is what i do but there's a way around it now if you post it directly onto a post your post is going to be suppressed however if you write about the band or write about what you're talking about and then post the link in the comments they don't suppress the comments they suppress the post so you can write a cool advertisement with a cool picture or a photo or whatever or even a video that you upload not a video link but a video that you upload and then you post the link in the comments there's a way around the algorithm there you know that's how you have to do it to where your post will be seen instead of suppressed um it, it's it's insane man especially for the underground artist if, if you're not already popular it's really really hard to get that traction on facebook and i recommend to to all artists out there don't use facebook as your or any form of social media as your number one source of promotion yes utilize them because they're all tools but get a website get a website and talk about your website on your pages um, that way when your fans and people who are in are interested see that they'll take the time to go to your website because when if you've made a fan on Facebook and you have to contact them or continuously update them on Facebook your posts are gonna be suppressed unless you're paying for Facebook ads now if you have your own website and you direct people to your website that's your traffic that's your people that's your fan base you're able to add them to your email list and update them once a month once a week however often but don't overload them every day you don't want to do that to your fans you don't want to do that to your contacts people don't want their email spammed to death with here check out my music check out my music you know there's there's a formula to this and and there's a good way of doing it and i've got business books on marketing their ebooks if anybody's interested just email me at selfmaderecords.business at gmail.com i'll help anybody for free now if you want me to work for you that that's when that's when we talk about money and stuff like that but i'll help anybody get to the the business knowledge and the uh, marketing aspects on how to get seen and i'll do that for for nothing 
I was trying to come up with a good question after that, but that's a really <laughs> good way of approaching things. Um, I like that you're offering to help because I don't think enough people do that nowadays. And I think a lot of people, like we talked about earlier, having those those delusions of instantly, I guess, instant fame is a better word for it. That's the actual word. It just seems like there aren't enough people that are actually genuinely trying to help each other. They're just trying to build, like we've talked about a million times already, numbers, and they're trying to grow the business. It's not necessarily about quality. But it seems like with your approach, you're just trying to enrich the scene as a whole. I just love music. All I've ever wanted to do is be a part of it, you know? And that's the difference between me and a lot of other people. I don't necessarily need anybody's money. I have I have everything I need, you know what I mean? But at the same time, a lot of what I do when it comes to getting big things done, that does cost money. So, I mean, if I'm taking money out of my pocket, obviously I'm going to want money back. But before it even gets to a discussion of money, I just I want to I want to be a part of the reason somebody is succeeding. You know what I mean? Um so for for me it's just the fact that i've always wanted to be a part of the music i've always wanted to work in the industry in some form or fashion and i just feel like doing it this way number one i've got the vendetta against the scam artist <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. it, it it serves my purpose to help people I think a lot of people don't, uh, they either don't know or they downplay, downplay the importance of networking and building those relationships. Because even if you're not talking money, if you're not talking growth necessarily, if you're trading knowledge, if you're trading those, uh, I guess that if you're trading the knowledge, but also building those relationships with your contacts, with your fans, with different bands and venues and stuff like that, it's all going to come back tenfold because you'll be the person they call for whether or not, like if there's a show in the area that they need a band, they're going to call you. If you have helped somebody out with some information, they might come to you when they do need services. And so it might not be instantly, like instant gratification, but it will come back sooner or later. Well, yeah, you know, um, while networking other people, I found, and I, I stumbled across this by accident early on, you know, um, networking other people is networking myself. You know, and, and that's the only yeah. way I can say that is because when you're when you're helping somebody, work gets around, man. And um, like you said, people come back and they'll they'll be like, "Hey, man." So while I'm building you, you're building me, and that's that's the best way to go. Yeah, exactly. Now I know you have only a few more minutes left, Eric. Um, so I do want to say that I'd love to have a follow up episode with um with you, in in more of a focus on misanthropic torment because i know we didn't really chat about your band that much today but i'm i'm really interested in hearing more about obviously the promotional side of things but i'd also like to dive a little bit deeper into your band and then your approach to music as well if you're cool with that yeah that's not a problem i mean i have a few more minutes if you want to touch on it oh i've got i've got too many questions for a few more minutes <laughs> so um i'd love to book another episode with you here coming up that said uh for anybody looking for eric's music and his band, Misanthropic Torment, you've come out with two releases this year alone, Ectisis and Declaration of War. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, um, Jonathan Nesbitt, he, he's the other member in Misanthropic Torment. He's a beast, man. I give him an idea, 
and I tell them what I want to do. And Ectasis, I, I do want to touch on Ectasis real quick. Uh, I can spare sure. I can spare some more time if you've got it. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, so. I told you I took a break from music for a while because I had a meltdown. I kind of had a mental breakdown back in 2020 and 2021 that overflowed onto the internet and social media and all that. And I really needed to dive deep into that that spot that um, that my psychosis, uh, if you will. Um, so ecstasy, it's it's basically shedding your skin. It's with a process that reptiles go through. Um, that snakes go through when they're shedding skin. So I used it as a metaphor because uh, I, I really needed to dive deep and write some things from from a different perspective. Most of my music was about killing pedophiles and uh, a crooked government, you know. But uh, this album was uh, it, it was my album that that just allowed me to shed the negativity and embrace all the shit in my life that I could possibly take and create into potential, you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, that, that album, it really needed to be written. There's a, there's a, a song on there called Summonus Mortis Est, that's Latin for the dream is dead. And I'm talking about the music, you know, I'm talking about the music industry and everything and, and how it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jonathan Nesbitt, he, he put together some really good instrumentals. I, I mix and master everything, so it's not like, uh, you, my, my quality of recording has gotten a lot better than what it was before. There's a lot of music that I've tore down off of, uh, off of YouTube that I put up in my early days because I feel like I just sounded like a dying cat at that time. <laughs> But for for being a death metal guy and somebody who does death metal, I, I like to separate myself from the herd while a lot of other people are, are singing about entrails and torturous, um, tor torturing people and fecal matter and all that other stuff. I, I like to try and put some meaning into into my music and I'm not dogging anybody who is who is into the horror movie theme type music because I love Cannibal Corpse, you know, I love I love all these bands. I, I myself just, I feel like uh, I've lived an interesting life, and when I tell people about the life that I've lived and experiences, a lot of people, um, it's it's really kind of intense, you know, people are like, wow, you know, I, I don't think you're telling the truth, you know, but I, I assure you that uh, my life has been pretty interesting, and I put it out through my music. As far as self-made records go, where is the best place for prospective clients to reach out to you or find the information? Uh, they can go onto Facebook and then click on my website, and all the information will be on my website. If you want to find out the bands that we represent, we have a band camp. Um, they're also on my website as well as Facebook, Twitter. Um, I even have a TikTok. I don't really... TikTok is... It's... <laughs> I, it's, TikTok. it's TikTok, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you can Google self-made records LLC, or you can Google misanthropic torment. If if you Google misanthropic torment, make sure you spell it with an I K at the end, not an I C. Um, you'll find out anything you want to know about me. I'm all over the place. <laughs> awesome. Well, Eric, I want to thank you again for your time today, and I look forward to chatting you again, uh, chatting with you again here in the future. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. 
please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.